It is grace. Yes, for by grace we've been saved. But the real solution to sin, the wages of sin was death. And the solution to our problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the essence of our salvation, the blood of Christ. He died for me and you. We've been redeemed, you remember, Peter wrote, from our futile way of life, inherited from our forefathers, not with all the money in the world. God didn't purchase us with silver and gold, but with blood, precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, I'm quoting. 1 Peter 1, I think it's verse 19, but look at here, verse 13. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Brought Near. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. If you're like me, you're uh, enjoying this six-chapter letter. I hope you're reading it and uh, enjoying it regularly, apart from our times together here. But uh, there are such great statements in here of what we have in Christ and what God's grace really means. Language, you know, that might seem almost, uh, you know, people just hear words like grace and and it can just sound like Christian language and religious nomenclature, but when you, when you hear it explained and when your eyes are opened to what we really have in Christ, why it takes on a whole new thrust. Let me start back at verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Father, we want to just stop and praise you for that, your amazing grace that brought us near by the very blood of your Son. And I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would take distraction from us and uh, teach us, give us eyes to see, uh, and may we, each of us, we come with a different set of needs, uh, different challenges in our lives. But each of us, we ask that you would use this time in your word to change us, to make us more like Christ if we're in Christ, to draw us to Christ if we need Christ, uh, and all do. 
So, Lord, we pray with confidence that you will, by your Holy Spirit, use this in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we want to look at uh, verse 11 through 13. And I wanted to read it in connection with what we saw last week because the connection is so clear. And I also want you to know where we're going. Sometimes uh, you enjoy where, where you're going more if you know the destination, you know. And maybe enjoy but isn't the word but grasp what's being said. So let me just say verse 11 through 13 is our text. But we're headed to verse 13 but now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Christ, that's where we're going. That's where the text is going to lead us. We are in Christ. And we are brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, if you stop and think about those, uh, in Christ, that's the whole burden of Ephesians, really, to help us see what it means to be in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Remember, that's how the book started. In Him. We have redemption through His blood. In Him you also, after hearing the gospel, you believed and you were sealed in Him. Now the whole thrust of at least the first three chapters of Ephesians is to help us see what it means to be in Christ. And uh, if I say the first three chapters, I'd have to say that the rest of the book, 4, 5, and 6 are the implications of how we ought to live in light of being in Christ. So glance back to chapter 1, verse uh, 18. And you remember, Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He prays that we, his readers, would know what we have in Christ. So our text is going to take us there. And then notice the second part of it, verse 13, that we've been brought near by his blood. You know, the Bible, the Bible pictures man outside of Christ as blind, deaf, in fact, dead, we saw in our chapter twice, verse 1 and verse 5. Dead spiritually. Not to mention duped by Satan, deceived, and in bondage to Satan. That's the way the Bible pictures man. And that doesn't even go into the wreckage then in our lives. The pointless nature of most lifestyles. The futility of people just putting in time to acquire things or the heartache as they see the relationships closest to them breaking apart and all the despair and discouragement and boredom that our world is full of. All these things are a result of sin. Man's problem is sin. 
God's solution is grace. But if I say it that way, let me be more specific and go to verse 13 and say it is grace. Yes, for by grace we've been saved, but the real solution to sin, the wages of sin was death, and the solution to our problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we sing these songs, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It isn't just kind of an old-fashioned gospel song that people used to believe. This is the essence of our salvation, the blood of Christ. He died for me and you. We've been redeemed, remember, Peter wrote, from our futile way of life, inherited from our forefathers, not with all the money in the world. God didn't purchase us with silver and gold, but with blood, precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I'm quoting 1 Peter 1, I think it's verse 19, but look at here, verse 13. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, the Bible repeatedly brings us back to these things, and, and the book of Ephesians does, because you and I need it. And in fact, growth happens as we appreciate and respond to what God has accomplished for us. So the way he gets there in our text is he starts in verse 11 uh, with unbelieving Gentiles. And he says, remember, you who used to be Gentiles, you who came out of the hopelessness and helplessness of your background, remember that. And though he's writing primarily to unbelieving Gentiles of his day, this is a picture for all of us as he says, remember back. And it's good for us to remember what we had or didn't have before Christ. So let's read it. Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh. Now, let's make it clear. He's writing to people who are Gentiles. He's writing to them as former Gentiles. What are they now? Well, they're Christians. That's what they are. Most of the church, probably at Ephesus... Uh, though they were Jew and Gentile, most, and he says, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who used to be looked down upon as the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, and he's going to get into that more, that enmity between Jew and Gentile that existed throughout the ancient world and still exists today, by the way. No matter how many roadmaps to peace we try to come up with, there seems to be no peace. But he's going to get into that more in verse 14, and we'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But right now, right now, he wants, he says, now remember you were formerly Gentiles. What are you now, Christians? Because in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3 says, there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ. So he looks back, and he's writing back to those who were formerly Gentiles, but their position, their situation in life is a great picture of all who uh, are outside of Christ. In other words, all of us before Christ. I hope you're a Christian today. Uh, but, and if you are, you can look back and you can think what life was before you came to Christ and where you really were before Christ. And maybe you're here, and I'm glad you are, 
if you're here without Christ, I'm glad you're here. It's a good place to come, and I hope that you'll listen carefully, and I hope you'll come to Christ. I would encourage you to, and I want to welcome you. But if you're here without Christ, then the description he gives is a great description of you right now, right now. So uh, he says, remember, and notice he says it twice, verse 11, remember, verse 12, remember. One of the best things you and I can do is remember how empty and bleak life was before Christ. And uh, I want you to notice the five-fold description in verse 12 uh, of people uh, before Christ. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Christless, stateless, promiseless, hopeless, godless. <laughs> it's a strong but accurate description of people in Paul's day who had been outside uh, the veil before they came to Christ. In our day, uh, before we came to know who he really is. And if you want to state it another way, look at the verse and just... Uh, we were without Christ. We were without citizenship. We were without the promises. We were without hope. And we were, as he says, without God. Now he says, remember that. Let me just simplify it. To be without Christ is to be without God. And to be without God is to be without hope. Now, I know in our pluralistic, anything-goes culture, those are almost fighting words to say. But you don't have to look very far to see the emptiness and the bleak void in people's lives without Christ. Because Jesus said, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Oh, I know people all around the world will try to say, well, I believe in God. I don't believe in Christ. Christ is God. God came to the planet. And to reject Christ is to reject God. And to reject God is to be without hope. Now stop and think about that. Everyone you know who's without Christ is without God and without hope. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how much they put on a veneer like we tend to that every, we've got it all together in our lives. To be without Christ is to be without God, and to be without God is to be without hope. And I mean it. Not just not having something to make you feel better. Without hope. No hope. Now, I think we ought to really stop and ponder that, and it ought to govern the way I live my life and the way I interact with people, because everyone around me that doesn't have Christ doesn't have God. And to be without God is to be without hope. Now, let's look at each one of these just briefly. Separate from Christ. You see, the Gentiles in the Old Testament times, they had no messianic hope. Uh, they were separated from Christ, from the anointed one, from Messiah, the one who would come. 
Israel had that hope. In fact, Christ is called the hope of Israel. But the Gentiles were separated from Christ. Now, and I'm going to try to kind of tie this uh, because he didn't write this merely for us to think about ancient people. This was written for our instruction. So in each case, I want us to think about it. And I know that today, uh, people, particularly people who've been around the block, will kind of shudder when you talk about messianic hope. And leaders will say, let's not look for any messianic deliverance here, you know. And, you know, in one sense, they're right. Because all the so-called messiahs that have come and gone and the false Christs that Jesus warned about and how how many people's hopes have been dashed by false ones who promised deliverance but weren't deliverers. And he said it's going to get worse as the age moves on. So in one sense, I would warn you, beware of messianic hope. Okay? But in the other sense, that's wrong to downplay messianic hope. Because there is a Messiah. There is a Christ. He came. I've got good news for you today in the city of David. There's been born for you a Savior who's Christ the Lord. God's Messiah came. The hope of Israel was here. And Jew and Gentile alike are hiding their eyes in the sand. If you say, oh, don't look for any deliverance. And usually that statement is made with kind of the, if it's going to happen, we're going to have to do it ourselves, isn't it? And there's kind of a human, we've got to, there's no deliver. we're going to have to deliver ourselves. Don't be looking for some Messiah. No, I say, look, the Messiah was here. He's coming back. But to be separated from Christ, that was their condition. And then notice, secondly, they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You see, God set Israel apart. He chose out Abraham in Genesis 12. Now, morally, there was no distinction. But he took Abraham and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And he set him apart. And you know, the scripture says that as to privilege, it was a great privilege. You know, I was reading in Amos this week in another connection. And Amos, God says, he looks at all the different nations around And through Amos, he speaks and he says, you know, I'm going to judge Moab. I'm going to judge Edom for this sin, for that sin. I know what Syria is up to. He looked at all the nations and he knew about them. But he said, you alone, Israel, have I known. Amos 3, verse 2. The 147th Psalm says, he declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. He's not dealt thus. With any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. Praise the Lord, this all men's. What a blessing it is to have God's word. And God gave his word through the nation Israel. But when God set Israel apart, it wasn't because he had a narrow focus or a parochial vision. He said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and through you, you will bless what? All the nations. His goal was always to set apart a people distinct. Israel to be a blessing to all the nations. And he says, remember, you guys were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, tragically, what happened is that Israel, instead of being distinct and using that as a means to reach out to the nations, 
Israel went one of two ways, either became proud of their distinctions or, and the sad record is, is that they almost immediately began to uh, compromise those distinctions. And so religiously, as soon as they got out of Egypt, they aped after the nations around them and they created a, a golden calf. And politically, they said, look at all the nations around us. They've all got kings. We need a king. God said, I'll be your king. But they said, no, no the other nations have kings. We want a king. And uh, so, you know, it wasn't just religiously, but it was politically and morally. I read they rose up to play. So they compromised. And, you know, I'll just parenthetically say that the church today is not Israel, but we are called to be a distinct people set apart to God and to be salt and light in a decaying world. And there are always those, in fact, today it's advocated often, that we will best help the world by being more like the world. We won't reach the world if we don't become like the world, is kind of the, the statement. And really that's following exactly the, the failure route that Israel took. God set them apart to be a distinct nation so that they could be a blessing to all the nations. And the church today is most effective in reaching the world when it is not aping after the world and being like the world, but being different. We have so much, and our lives should be different, not in an odd, holier-than-thou, prideful kind of a way, but in a distinct citizen of heaven kind of a way that will draw people to Christ. In fact, uh, someone said, when the church is least like the world, we do the most good for the world. And you pause and think on that. Now, thirdly, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. The Gentiles had no right to the promises of God. In fact, if a Gentile wanted in on the promises, he had to what? Become a Jew. He had to proselytize. He had to become uh, a Jew to get in on the promises. And, you know, in the old days, it was wrong for a person to just take the promises of God. And the same, same today. The Bible isn't just a promise book willy-nilly for just anyone. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But they were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Fourthly, having no hope. Wow. What a picture of man outside of Christ. No hope. You know, when an Old Testament Gentile said, the God of Israel is too narrow, too confining, and he went and found his own God, he was left with no hope. And people today, for whatever reason, who respond to the gospel of Christ and move away from it, respond by moving away from it, uh, respond by rejecting it, they find themselves without hope. And our culture today, as it's moved further from God, is a reflection of that. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Brought Near, a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. We are his bride, he's going to say in chapter 5. Those images, those analogies ought to thrill our heart all the more as we realize what we were. And Ephesians gives quite a few of them. By the way, this chapter is going to close by, and Paul isn't afraid to change images. You know, he'll say, we're the body of Christ, we're the bride of Christ, we're the building We're being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God's purposes on earth today are being accomplished through His church. And the church is actually the dwelling of God's Spirit here on earth. And we're part of that. Each as individuals, we're being built up into His dwelling place. Oh, we are in Christ. We've been brought near. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of Ephesians. Pastor Scott will bring part two of the message titled, Brought Near. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.